0: So this is Cultivating Classroom Management, and this episode is going to be a little bit about instruction and a tiny bit about behavior, but as I said before, they're all connected. So if you have to teach at home because your students cannot come to school and you cannot come to school because of the current state of things with coronavirus or, heaven forbid, a blizzard, a hurricane, whatever, some condition ice storm that you can't get to work, there are many, many good ideas about teaching online. And I'll first start with some basics, which is that anything that you do, make sure your administrator approves of. There's lots of free platforms out there, and there's some that are costly, but you just want to make sure that your district is okay with it and that it's a safe platform. The ones I'll... Be talking about are safe and they've been used in many districts, but there's a lot of new and emerging learning platforms and apps that may or may not be as internet safe or safe for your particular school as you would like. And so that brings me back to when YouTube first came out for, you know, for use in schools, and it was blocked in my district and. Even though it's not necessarily a learning uh, platform, it's a wonderful tool to use in the classroom. And it didn't, uh, it took a while for YouTube to make a version for the educational world that was approved by my particular district. So we want to always make sure we're safe. Uh, The second area of concern when you're starting an online platform is online program and using a platform is that you know we have to consider the digital divide you know are the students in your district able to get the tools that they need on the devices that they currently have uh, there are some platforms that can be used on a phone or a, or a tablet uh, for the most part And there are some learning platforms that require a laptop. So, And there are some students who may not have any of those devices. So your district has to keep in mind the the population that you have and be prepared for it. You know, there are grants out there. There are donors. There are uh, ways to make sure that all the students have access to, to the technology that it's you know, there's an inventory process, there's a way to keep it safe, and so on. So the other part of it is to make sure that teachers are well-versed, comfortable, confident, and trained in the platforms that you're going to use. It doesn't have to be, like, a whole basket full of platforms and tools. It's like less is more. You want to use something that is comfortable, and the teachers have had some practice with, and some of the tools are very expansive, and teachers are at very different levels from teachers who were born into the digital native uh, situation. A digital native is somebody who is familiar with um, not only word-based programs, but internet dynamic programs, web-based programs, and by the way, um, you know it's not always about age. It's it's about what people are comfortable with. So there are there are other uh, individuals like myself who are not digital natives who are very comfortable and confident with it. But you still need to have supports in place, such as a point person, a training program, possibly tutorials online, and access to manuals, because. You can't have one person uh, who's the point person take care of everything. You'll just burn them out. So we need to have accessibility for the teachers. And speaking of accessibility, make sure that our programs are uh, accessible to students with disabilities and that they are in compliance. And there's lots of programs that have updated themselves to be in compliance for students with visual impairment and other um, students with dyslexia, and if there needs to be any more uh, adaptations and modifications, just make sure that's in place before you start. The other part is to make sure that there's uh, students are familiar with behavior. Now we're going to get to behavior the behavior that's expected on online learning or any outside application, that they know that there's a code of conduct and that they're familiar with it, that it's in writing, that the parents have copies, and just general courtesy uh, communication style on online learning and any outside platform. So we want to impress upon the students that this is not a chat room where they are I'm dating myself, or uh, or they're not texting. They're they're speaking in language that's appropriate for school, and sometimes the language re- requires for formality, such as handing in a paper, a research paper, or a report. And sometimes the language is less formal, but it is always at a certain level for school, which means that it's spell-checked and it's grammar-checked, that there's, you know, the the level of language is formal, that there are no put-downs or uh, making people feel uncomfortable and so on. We have to spell those things out, and we have to spell out what we expect for each assignment, but that's a different topic. So some of the platforms that are widely used. And there's a, a lot of new learning platforms. There's um, some more common ones that are free and or at low cost. And there are some that are not. But I'll start with the one that's most common, which is Google Classroom. And Google Classroom can be used at the K through 12 level. And it is used at the higher ed level. I use Google Classroom. And the cool thing about Google Classroom is it's connected to the other Google Suite, which is the, the what we're all familiar with: Google Docs and and Google Slides and uh, uh, the um, the uh, U- YouTube. Um, even though it may not be Google, it's connected, and you're able to upload images and videos, and you're able to take videos and up. Of yourself and upload them. You're able to embed other uh, programs into visuals and and so on. So it's a great learning platform for a beginner in terms of a student or a teacher because it works a lot like Google. Um, Disadvantages, I don't find that it's easy to do an interactive discussion. There are ways to do it, but it's a little more clunky than say, um, traditional Blackboard programs. So it's a great tool to use for now in terms of uh, getting teachers started, uh, working with Chrome, uh, ease and user friendliness. So Google Classroom is one that's widely used. Programs like Blackboard and eChalk are old classics that are used and have a lot of flexibility teachers they do cost the district there's something that a teacher has to get money for and it has to be used across the district uh, primarily I'm sure an individual could use it but it's a lot more costly so a blackboard has its advantages in terms of you can upload uh, you, can, you can do all that you do in Google Classroom and have a better discussion um, board going. There's a lot of connections with it. You can do blogs, you can add other um, embedded features such as VoiceThread and so on, but Blackboard does cost the district and Blackboard is something that people find clunky. Um, Their interactive teaching system called Blackboard Ultra is a huge improvement over the last system, but a lot of people still say it's not as smooth E-chalk, I'm less familiar with it. I know the old E-chalk that my daughter had uh, 15 years ago where teachers would upload assignments and there was a calendar and so on. The new E-chalk is more like Blackboard. It's more user friendly and there's a lot you can do with it. And so it's one that's very uh, much used across the country. And Schoolology, Schoolology is a similar platform in terms of a lot of teachers are using it, and it's a more popular uh, form of an LMS. LMS stands for Learning Management System. So I haven't used Schoolology. I've uh, done some demos on, uh, tried tried it out, and it has a lot of nice features, all of you know, gradebook and and things like that. You can keep your records in one place. There's another new one called Power Learning. It used to be called Haiku. It's got a similar uh, popularity right now. It's being used in some of the smaller schools, and that's just one of the new and emerging uh, learning platforms. So I can add a link of some articles about different learning platforms but i think for for our sake it's just important to know how the differences between online learning and in-person learning and hybrid learning and how this can be used in the K through 12 setting i'm not an, an uh, instructional Maven, in terms of instructional technology, but I am a user and I have used these platforms Google Classroom and Blackboard for about nine years now. So I'm very familiar with the basics and how you can get students started and engaged. And in these times, that's what you really need. You know, as I said, you can add as many tools as you want having students make PowerPoint slides or make voice threads or do interactive projects. You can do so much on these platforms, but you don't want to throw the kitchen sink at students. The idea is less is more. Use some very effective tools and use them well. And that is what I recommend, especially if students aren't coming to school and they don't see your face. So the first thing I'd say is definitely do a lot of conversation on the sites, letting students know what is expected, but also being conversational, letting them know how they can get their questions answered, both the academic questions and the technical questions. We think our students are digital natives, but they may be very well versed with gaming or Instagram or Snapchat, but when it comes to our platforms, they may not be as um, flexible in terms of how to use them and how to even do simple uploading. So we have to be prepared to do a little homework and experimentation ourselves before we can communicate to students, not only what they need, but we also need to be able to troubleshoot. It's good if there's a tech who we can send our troubles to, but sometimes the very, very basic things we need to be able to convey to our students. Expectations. So I've learned over the years that it's important to tell students when you expect the work and when you expect them online. So open-ended, like, match matchbook correspondence courses only work for certain learners, those learners who are really independent and who you can rely upon to do a whole project and then upload it and you can comment on it. I find those type of learners are, they would learn under any circumstances, but the students who need more prompting, you can do it in a way that, Is respectful by, and I've learned this the hard way by the way, by giving them specific expectations and deadlines and also uploading some examples for them. So if you don't have any student examples, you can spend the time making them yourself because the students won't be there with you. So you'll find yourself typing back and forth. Rather than do that, create some folders, here's some examples create some short videos of yourself demoing or lecturing to the kids, showing them how to do certain things. They'll get a kick out of seeing you in the video. Uh, There's a way you can do a voiceover PowerPoints in Google Slides, or you can do it in a voice thread so that they're engaged and they see you. And so there's some teaching going on. So there's that kind of teaching. And of course, there's the old read the book and report on so-and-so-and-so. You want to make it as interactive as possible. So there are other programs that you can use to get the kids more um, interacting, such as Flipgrid. It's a little bit task-oriented to get them to upload Flipgrid, but you If you have somebody guide you through it, it can work really nice. That Flipgrid allows them to make a short video of themselves. And again, depending on the age of the kids, you'd have to give them very strict, strict guidelines about what's appropriate, what's not. It can be a lot of fun. You can have the kids um, take assessments on a site called Formative. And I've just explored this for myself. You can create a quiz, you can upload images, you can upload short videos. It's all about assessing the students. So rather than a paper and pen quiz, you can do something like that. Of course, there's always Kahoot, and you can use Kahoot in your your online work with kids. So as far as behavior goes, we want to show students that what they're uploading, they should be proud of. When they speak to a peer on um, media uh, for a school, it really has to be something not only appropriate, but uplifting. They can encourage the peer. They can respond in a way that's intellectual. They can add to the discussion. We want to sort of model that and spell it out for them. You want to give them a timeline of not only when things are due, but how long you think they should be spending on their work. So these are just some good ideas and tips that I've learned over the years. And you always need to give kids a safety net of how to reach you in case they really get stuck or they're in a quandary and they can't get into this sort of um, online space. There there will be uh individuals who will have barriers to learning online. And you wanna find out what's going on with them. You don't wanna assume anything. So yeah. phone number, safe place to reach you, way to, way to chat, um, point person. And of course, since you're dealing with parents, you might wanna do a little introductory video. And there's a way to use YouTube in a very safe way to create uh, a non-public link that you can just send to individuals. And so you can even set up a Google Classroom just for parents if you wanted to, like a resource, or set up your own website. There's some clunky uh, Google blog called uh, Blogspot. I have one myself, but you can always use WordPress if you want to set up a site for parents or your school-approved website. You want to keep parents in the loop and tell them really what to expect and how to help their child succeed on online work. So if there aren't any big things going on like uh, that keep kids out of school, you can still use online learning in a very effective way to help with enrichment or homework or do a flipped class. A flipped class is when you're providing a video first or some information first and you have kids respond to it. And you can uh, use online learning for perhaps response to intervention, which means that you're helping kids who are behind in certain areas or who need more skill development. So there are many, many good ways to use online learning. And the disclaimer is all of this comes from my own experience. I'm not an instructional specialist in this area, but I feel that I'm very proud of the work that I've done. I've written a grant to get an online program started. At present, it's uh, it's an online program for teacher candidates to obtain an NVAD certification. I mostly use um, a hybrid f- format, even though it's an online learning um, environment. In other words, they can come to class if they want to. So they have that option. I use Zoom to speak with the teacher candidates. And I um, and it's a program that I started a couple of years ago. So, And before that, I did some online learning at another college and I taught some principles in Europe through very rudimentary tools when it first came out, but it was still very successful. So thank you very much for listening. My name is Liz.